welcome to the Delingpod with me, James Delingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but before I introduce you to my exciting special guest, first a word from our sponsor, Thor Holt. Our Delingpod sponsor, Thor, has taken the vow of silence in January and is letting his clients talk today. The first client is the owner of a multi-award winning Scottish IT firm. Managing director Cheryl says, Thor is like Marmite. Love it or hate it, he's honest, authentic, funny, clever, and super talented. We have laughed and cried, and he is just amazing at what he does. If you need help with strategic presentations, I never go anywhere else. Feel fortunate to always have him in my corner. I hate Marmite, but bloody love this man. The final client feedback note is a company owner who employs Thor as a non-executive director to help him aggressively scale up and then exit his Yorkshire-based business. He says, Thor, you're underselling yourself. You do what you say on the tin, but better. You've absolutely turbocharged me, properly stoked my fire. Read 80 more client recommendations for Thor Holt and connect with him today at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Thor Holt, H-O-L-T. Now, my exciting special guest, John, John Hamer. I have to say that this has been a long time coming. I should have had you on ages ago. I have been a massive fan of yours since at least I heard your Bravura podcast with Germ Warfare on the Titanic, uh, which is a, a great story. I think we're not going to go yep. there today because it, it, it. I mean, your pre- your full presentation is quite a long. It's quite epic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I once did a four-hour live show uh, on the west coast of uh, America, and it was and it was yeah, as I say, four hours, and I didn't cover everything. I didn't cover all the information that would have uh, you know kind of put the story completely to bed. So um, it is very long and complex story, but it is. Yeah, as you say, it's it's amazing. It's just an epic thing. Um, this is boring, John. But I'm, I'm I'm still hearing crackling on your. Oh no. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, what? But you're doing it on the phone, aren't you? I'm on the phone. Yeah. Um, hang on. Let me just see if I could. I've got a, a fan heater on here. Let me just see if that makes a difference, James. <clears throat> It's so cold in here, I can't get the room warm at all. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I don't want you freezing. No, it's you're still crackling. Um, right, right. That's not good, is it? Well, it's um, not. It's not good given that we we did a we did a test the other day, and you were absolutely yeah. perfect. Right. That's very strange. Very strange. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say, really. Um, oh gosh. Um. It's just so frustrating, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, well, well, keep going. Talk again. Yeah. Are, are we starting again right from the beginning? Or I mean, yeah. Was anything thought, salvageable at all from last time? Well, the thing is, it was just irritating, wasn't it? The the, the having the. Well, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I think. I'll just edit out this this this. <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll crack on because I think I mean I think it's audible it's just it's just slightly it's, it's slightly imperfect that's all anyway no. all right 
Right. The we're not going to do the Titanic today, but do you just want to give us the give us the the, the TLDR, the, the 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 really brief version about? Basically, it was an insurance job, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. I mean, there are there are two elements to it actually. Um, it, it's uh, even to do a, a kind of a in a nutshell thing is pretty difficult, James. But I'll give it a go. Um, yeah, basically, it was a, it was an insurance job. Titanic, for those who are not aware had an almost identical twin sister called Olympic, which is actually the first one off the short production line of three. And Olympic was a jinx ship right from the beginning. It had several accidents in its first year of service. It was, it was launched the year before Titanic. It had several accidents culminating in one huge one where it actually collided with a, a British battleship called HMS Hawk in Solent, or just at the mouth of the Solent, just off the coast of the Isle of Wight. And it was declared a wreck. Okay, it was officially declared a wreck, RMS Olympic. It was, it was unsalvageable. Uh, it had a twisted keel amongst many, many other things. But the really key issue was the twisted keel. Any ship that um, has a keel that is twisted is a write-off. It, and, it, and it was, as I say, it was... Uh, actually declared, officially declared a wreck. But yet, miraculously, a few months later, it was suddenly back in service in perfect condition. And of course, what had happened was that the ships had been switched. It was an insurance scam. They patched Olympic up to be fit for one last voyage, dressed up as Titanic, and they sank it deliberately. Um, there were other elements to the story as well, you know, several... One of the major element, which I won't kind of do a spoiler for right now, and several other minor elements that actually all came together to make this one incredible story. I mean, I spent two years at least um, researching this stuff full time. And, you know, it's it is a very, very long and complex story. And obviously wrote the book about it as well, which I call RMS Olympic. Um, but yeah. If, it, when people ask Sorry? what you do, when people ask you what you do for a living, mm -hmm. what, what do you say now? I say I, I'm an alternative historian, researcher and author. Right. Um, but before that, you were in IT. Yes. Right. Do, can I ask a, a, a rude question? Do, do your books sell? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, obviously, it's not J.K. Rowling uh, kind of yeah. sales. But, but um, yeah, I mean, the falsification of history has sold about 70,000 copies, which, you know, for the kind of book that it is, the, the genre that it is, um, it, it's a lot of sales, yeah. I mean, No, no, you, know, I, you, you don't even need to defend that. I mean, yeah. I've never sold 70,000 of any book I've written. Uh, right. And, and, I, and I wasn't... I wasn't even casting casting aspersions on your abilities as a, as, a, as an historian no, and no, a writer. No, no. Uh, I was more curious to see how much the gatekeepers of the publishing industry, how effective they were at preventing voices like yours from being heard. Yes, I, I, that's a fair question. I, I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm self published. I, I don't have a, a yeah, but a more profits. Publisher. Yeah, more profits, but obviously less less. Um, shall we say, uh, marketing power. <laughs> well, but, yeah, um, you're not going to get on, on Radio 4's Start the Week if, if, if that no. still exists. I don't know whether it does, no. but... 
I don't know either. But I mean, no. regardless of the actual content, no, you're right. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't manage that. No. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So we, we've started with a fairly harmless piece of alternative history, because yes. I mean, nobody's affected by it. But whether whether or not the Titanic did hit an iceberg and go down, or whether yeah. it was an in, in, in insurance job, yes. um, but there are some historical issues where people get really really upset, and uh, and and there is there are huge industries designed to prevent one asking any questions about it. And I think you know where I'm going with this. I'm talking about dinosaurs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean the D word I, I just just by way of by way of introduction to this subject um, my baby granddaughter came over to stay with us over Christmas and she was wearing dinosaur pajamas and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware by how much um, children from a very young age are exposed to the idea that Dinosaurs are a thing, yeah. were a thing. They all have names. They're all readily, readily identifiable. I think it particularly appeals to the sort of the autistic tendency in, in, in boys. Boys are very, very good at, at, at telling a stegosaurus from a triceratops, from a allosaurus, all these, all these names yes. that have been uh, attributed to these, to these animals. And, and kids love being taken to the Natural History Museum or its equivalents around the world, where, of course, you, the main hall is always dominated by a dinosaur skeleton. So we have something that is imprinted on my consciousness from a very early age. And I have developed this theory of late, which is the more they tell us about stuff. I mean, a good example would be the story of vaccines and and Edward Jenner and and cowpox yep. and dairy maids and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. The more they tell us about it at school, the more likely it is that this stuff is not kosher, as it were. That 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 they're trying to sell us sell us a story that isn't actually true. Um, dinosaurs, yes. I, you you know about this, don't you? I I, I don't. Yeah, uh, dinosaurs never existed. I mean, I'm absolutely 100% convinced of that, James. There's so much information that actually proves that premise. Um, you know, they're just another, basically, dinosaurs are just another patch to prop up an insubstantial theory. And I think we know what that theory is, the theory of evolution. Uh, come to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. But dinosaurs are used as a as a transition within the theory of evolution to explain sea to land and land to air creatures. You know, you could you could ask how that possibly could be true, but you mentioned it yourself. How, have you ever wondered why they're so prominent in society today? They're absolutely ubiquitous. They're everywhere. You know, the ch and children's toys, books, games, computer games, films, and this is a relatively recent thing. You know, and you, and you're right. You have to ask the question: Why? It's just propaganda to inculcate this idea of this mythical creature into children's minds you know when you look take a look at the facts you know they tell us that they died out 65 million years ago as a result of a meteorite hitting the somewhere near the yucatan peninsula on the off the coast of mexico and it's just another flimsy theory there is no proof of this whatsoever but it's taught as fact in schools and it's taught as fact in universities that the whole thing 
is just a, a, an incorrect premise. You know, and, and, you know, you can ask yourself questions like, why did no dinosaurs, no species of dinosaurs survive when other lizards and reptiles did, even large ones? No That's true. Cult- Crocodiles, I mean, have, have remained pretty yeah. much unchanged, haven't they? Exactly. exactly. And, and we know that they are a very ancient species, so they must have been around when this alleged uh, meteorite incident occurred. Um, you know, no culture anywhere in the world that has any verbal or written histories confirming the, the existence or even suggesting the existence of dinosaurs. And most significantly of all, no di- dinosaurs, fossils, have ever been found before the 1850s. And significantly, when was the theory of evolution first proposed? Yep, you've got it. The very same 1850s. And, you know, you mentioned that you see these skeletons in the entrances to the Natural History Museums. Even the Natural History Museums themselves admit that all the bones on display are fake. They do, however, tell us that the real ones are kept under lock and key because they're way too valuable to actually be shown to the public. No one's allowed to see them, though, which is, of course, very convenient. Only the top authorised paleontologists are allowed to see the originals they tell us. Um, I've actually got a quote here, which I'd like, like to read out for me, because it's from a, it's actually from a, a scientist uh, who's from the Smithsonian Institute, which is obviously a, a very famous institution uh, that deals, in fact, with dinosaur fossils. And he actually said, his, his name is Dr. Storrs Olson, and he actually said, and I quote, the idea of dinosaurs and the theropod origin of birds is being actively promulgated by a cadre of zealous scientists acting in concert with certain editors at Nature and National Geographic magazines, who themselves have become outspoken and highly biased proselytizers of the faith. Truth and careful scientific weighing of evidence have been among the first casualties in their program, which is now just becoming one of the grander scientific hoaxes of our time. When did he say that? That... When did he say it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact date. It's a few years ago, but I, d- right. I don't know the exact date, I'm afraid. Yeah, so you know that, that that you know I could actually at that point say I rest my case. But... Well, so so <laughs> where where do they help. get where where do they get all these these very convincing looking skeletons? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I was just going to come on to that. There's actually a huge factor in in China in Sichuan province in China that it's called the Zigong Dino Ocean Art Company and it has a very prominent website I would encourage anyone to look this up and it actually states on its website that real animal bones are melted down mixed with glue resin and plaster then used as a base material for recasting as dinosaur bones and they brag quite openly that they supply every major natural history museum in the world with this stuff. You know, so, <laughs> you know, the, the, the entire dinosaur industry, as far as I'm concerned, is just one big sham. It's a psyop, basically. So when so, I read, but... occasionally I, I see in the newspapers, not that I read newspapers, mm-hmm. but occasionally I glance across at my wife's copy and I'll yeah. see a story about how 
the most complete dinosaur skeleton is is about to go on on auction and and, and its estimated price is sort of 18 million dollars yes. yeah well what, I, what... yeah i mean it's just made of nonsense because you know self admittedly that the the, the uh, paleontological industry if you can call it that self admits that no dinosaur no complete dinosaur skeleton has ever been found and i think even that is is a is a gross exaggeration because at best what they have found are a few um random bones which could have come from anything you know the the they build these these representations of dinosaurs and they're very fond of doing that re, these re uh reproduction of of, of full dinosaurs based on a few scattered bones so you know even the even the pictures of dinosaur that dinosaurs that we we see are just basically reconstructions from somebody's idea of what they what wishful thinking tells them that these things look like i mean it's just it's just all nonsense from start to finish james to be honest right so i wonder what it's like that there must be people out there who've who maybe when they were young they watched Friends and they saw that one of the characters Ross was a right. paleontologist and they thought oh I want to be like Ross I do what a, what a fun job studying yep. dinosaurs okay. and then they must have gone into this they, this maybe they did biology at school mm. yeah. uh, and and then they get to university and study archaeology or something and then they they finally get their job working at the natural history museum do you think there's a sort of moment where they get taken aside and, and taken into a kind of sealed room and told something you ought to know about about your chosen field. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, that is an interesting uh, premise. Um, but I think it's, I mean, maybe that does happen when you reach a certain level. Um, but I think it's more a case of everything, not just in paleontology, but every discipline you can you can imagine, you know, where where there is a falsehood going on um i think it's it's a case of information is passed down on a need to know basis only so it's, if you imagine everything is pyramidal you know any organization you can think of is a pyramid even if even a small corner shop you have the the owner and then the manager and then maybe a couple of assistants it's everything is pyramidal instruction structure and Information is only passed down that pyramid on a strictly need-to-know basis. So the very bog-standard paleontologists who work at the bottom of the pyramid, they probably just propagandise just like the rest of us, and they won't know what they're dealing with. I think it's only at the very top levels that where the, the, the truth will be apparent. Um, but, I mean, again, I've got another quote here, and this, this is from a, a molecular biologist, and, and it's more to do with... Um, uh, evolution per se rather than dinosaurs yeah. um, but I, I'll read that out if I may and it, it's very interesting This now this guy only wanted to be referred to as Sam for obvious reasons when, when you hear the quote but he said and I quote to be a molecular biologist requires one to hold on to two contradictory insanities at all times one it will be insane to believe in evolution when you can see the truth for yourself Two, it would be insane to admit you don't believe in evolution. All government work, research grants, papers, big college lectures, everything would stop. I'd be out of a job and relegated to the outer fringes where I couldn't earn a decent living. 
The work I do in genetic research is honourable, but in the meantime, we have to live with the elephant in the living room. Intelligent design is that elephant in the living room. It moves around, takes up an enormous amount of space, loudly trumpets, bumps into us, knocks things over, eats a ton of hay and smells like an elephant. And yet we have to swear it isn't there. And I think that just about sums up the whole paradigm, if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I see that. I was just thinking of another example of, of, of this, because you can see why, suppose we accept that the dinosaurs are a, a psyop. Um, yeah. I mean, it would have to be a fairly comprehensive psyop for it to work. So you'd need all aspects of our culture, ranging from the, the, the industry that makes children's pajamas and the industry that makes those wonderful little stickers book, you know, those, those things where you, where you rub the back with a, with a, with yeah. a biro and it transfers. I used to love doing, I, I love my dinosaur transfers. And then you've got, <laughs> right. So you, then you've got a, a paleontologist being written into friends and the story is planted in the newspapers, you know, Oh, 18 yeah. million. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're really rare, but special and they're covetable. Um, yeah. and, and then you've, then the most recent one, do, do you ever watch, um, uh, Yellowstone. No, no, you don't watch TV. If you have got, I don't watch TV at all, James. No. Okay, so I've, I'm I'm a TV critic, so I'm I'm allowed. Uh, I, I have to do it, you know. For my Fair day. enough. But, we'll let you off. <laughs> so Yellowstone, really, really, it's quite a good, it's a good series. It, it's got Kevin right. Costner in it um, as a, as a sort okay. of a rancher, and right. in the first season, one of the one of the running sort of subplots is about this dinosaur skeleton which is found on the on the, on the 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 Indian reservation and okay. um the, it it looks like you would imagine a dinosaur well the dinosaur skeleton is supposed to look it, it, you know yes. all all the all the bones are, are arranged in order and stuff and i'm watching this stuff now now listening you know having borne in mind what you what what you've said and i'm thinking god this is just this is just like product placement. This is lie placement, lie reinforcement, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's dropped in gently. Yes. I mean, the thing is, you don't, you know, with the, the people who perpetrate these myths, they don't have to fool everybody. They only have to fool the people who control what we see, read, and hear. Um, you know, they don't even have to fool them. They can bring them into the into the plot, as it were. Um, but it's 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 quite easy for anyone who is not in the know to be actually hoodwinked by all this you know it, it's it's a very subtle process and, it, and it, you know we're, we're not just talking about the dinosaur situation or evolution there are so many other elements of the grand conspiracy for want of a better word that and and, and they all work in exactly the same way and why wouldn't they because it's a tried and trusted formula that works yes. you know there's no yeah you know it's just it's a case of um, you know keeping some people privy to certain things and making sure that the information does not filter down the pyramids. Yes, which is not well, to do. We should we should move on to to an even bigger one uh, because I mean thinking about it, evolutionary theory is one of the most all encompassing psyops. So assuming it is a psyop. In, in yeah. our culture, it is it is one of the absolute biggest. 
yeah. I, I, the number of times I've read articles since being since being aware that it possibly is a psyop, the number yes. of newspaper articles, magazine articles I've read involving science or or history of some time, which which make reference to to evolutionary theory as something which is taken as read is extraordinary. It's so embedded in our culture. And, and, Absolutely. And until two years ago, I was certainly um, one of those people who thought anyone who thought that that evolutionary was was suspect was basically a kind of creationist Christian crank, probably associated yep. with the Westboro Baptist Church. You know, they've, they've got these kind of yes. token crazy right wing Christians that they use to sort of represent the whole of the Christian faith and and. But so tell me, why would you, why should one be suspect about evolutionary theory? Um, well, I, I actually I do a standard presentation because one of my other uh, branches of strings to my bow, if you like, is I'm, I'm a stand up speaker. I speak at conferences and I, I you know I talk about all this kind of stuff and much more besides. Now, okay, so let's go a little technical here. Now, a simple one cell bacterium contains DNA information units that are, that are the equivalent of 100 million pages of the Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? Just as a, as a kind of a rough guide. That's a single-celled bacteria, bacterium, should I say. Now, as we all know, the basic functional unit of a cell, well, I say we all know, but it, it, I'm saying it, the basic functional unit of cell is a protein. Okay. Um, and... Proteins comprise hundreds of different amino acids. And to even work, they all have to be in the right order. Now, a single cell bacterium alone contains thousands of different proteins. Now, the guy who, who allegedly discovered the DNA molecule, which I'm not absolutely convinced about, a guy by the name of Francis Crick, uh, at Cambridge University in the 1950s, he calculated the odds of a protein occurring by chance as being 1 in 10 to the power of 260, okay? So, for, in simple terms, that is a 1 followed by 260 zeros. So, just to, again, for comparison purposes, that number is greater than the number of atom, atoms in the known universe. Just let that sink in for a moment. That number is greater than the number of atoms in the known universe. Now, mathematicians classify as impossible anything having greater odds than 1 in 10 to the power of 50. Okay. So, you know, this is... Simple maths, well, simple-ish maths, but it, what it means is, in real terms, it would have been impossible to get one protein by chance, let alone the thousands of different proteins that a single-celled bacterium would need to function or even exist. And even more than that, a cell would need the ability to ingest nutrients, it would need the ability to expel waste, and also to reproduce. Hence, if a cell ever was to develop by chance, which, you know, as we've already, as I've already demonstrated, that it would be classed as impossible, that very first cell 
would have had to develop and perfect the process of cellular reproduction in the span of its single lifetime. Because if it didn't, there would never have been a second cell. And Darwin's ridiculous evolutionary process would have ended right there and then. That would have been end of game. So the whole thing is a completely ridiculous premise. Okay, that that sounds like it could be a killer argument for some people. Um, yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, one thing I found is that people, different people, have different ways into understanding these things. It's a bit like okay. to take the moon landings, for example. Some people are persuaded by the Van yeah. Allen belt, the radiation belt. Yeah, those are the sort of sciencey-minded people. Some of us, uh, I'm of a more literary sort of socio-cultural bent. So the one that persuades right. me much more is is the the astronauts' testimony that this is not yes, this is I not know, the testimony of of men who who've seen the wonders yeah. of the universe, and some people are are, are persuaded by the, the more visual people are persuaded by the flags and the and the the, the lighting yes. and stuff, and yeah. it's, it's so we've got different ways in. I mean, yeah. the, the the one that that persuades me more. And the one that first raised raised doubt in my mind was mentioned to me by my old friend Christopher Booker, and Christopher right. Booker, I think, was the greatest journalist of, of his generation, certainly in the, in in the UK. And he became like an honorary dad to me. We used to have these long conversations about all sorts of things, mainly mainly I have to say about about climate change. You know, we were both onto the climate scam, or we both knew it was a, a, a con, but. Towards the end of his life, when he was when he was dying of cancer, he mentioned to me that he had reservations about evolutionary theory. And I thought, oh, that's a bit controversial. Because I, he didn't really write write much about it, but I know he'd been on conferences. He he'd been invited for special kind of discussion sessions with people like Peter Thiel, the the guy, you know the tech right. entrepreneur. And I right. thought, well, this is quite niche, but but interesting. He said, and, and anyway, the point he made to me was. Look at the fossil record. The fossil record, where are the intermediary um, fossils? The ones that Absolutely. show species transitioning. Mm -hmm. And that makes more sense to me. Just, just explain that briefly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wasn't kind of intimating that um, the mathematical side of it, the scientific side of it was the only element to it. That was just mm -hmm. kind of a lead into it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is where the whole thing falls down anyway because there are no transitional species. Even Darwin himself was puzzled by this. And, um, you know, he, he, he actually, I don't have it to hand, but it, it's in one of my books. And he, one of his quotes actually said, why are there no transitional species? This is a real puzzle. But then he kind of answered his own question by saying, well, there possibly hasn't been enough time yet for us to find these transitional species fossils in the uh, in the rock formations, but that okay, that only held water for so long. It's now 150 years since Darwin's death, and some, and you know we still haven't found any. You know the, the scientists talk about this quest for the missing link to absolutely prove it beyond all shadow of a doubt, but they aren't talking about the missing link between apes and humans. They're not talking about the missing links between all the other millions, literally millions of different life species, um, you know, which also do not exist. There are none, full stop. The, 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 yeah, 
evolutionists, these hardline evolutionists, will tell us that the oh that but the um, you know the, the the record in the rocks tells us that evolution is real. Well, I'm sorry, they're lying. They know damn well that it doesn't. It actually proves the opposite. It proves that there are no transitional species at all. So yeah, absolutely take that as read, James. Yeah. And didn't didn't I hear on another podcast say that there's evidence of um, a, a kind of conspiracy to promote this idea? You've got sort of high level yeah. Masonic lodges. Absolutely. Like yeah. Well, obviously, um, Darwin was a 33rd degree Freemason. His grandfather was a 33rd degree Freemason who actually promulgated the theory in the first place, Erasmus. <laughs> And all the Darwin family are very senior Freemasons. Now, this is a Freemasonic idea. Um, you know, I just go just go slightly off the off piste for a minute um, and say that you know one of the things that I talk about in my stand-up talks, I have a talk called the Three Pillars of False Science, and of which evolution is one of them. And and I and I kind of make the point that that these three things together create this false reality that we all live in and which has been actually propounded originally by freemasons so yeah the the 33rd degree supreme council of freemasonry about 100 years ago revealed in its minutes its promotion of evolution as a science while they were actually scoffing at the idea themselves now i can i can actually read you something from those minutes and this is a direct quote um, it says, it is with this object in view that we are constantly arousing a blind confidence in these theories. Okay. Um, the intellectuals, without any logical verification, will put into effect all the information available from science, which our agents have cunningly pieced together for the purpose of educating their minds in the direction we want. Do not suppose for a minute that these are empty words. Think carefully of the successes we arranged for Darwinism. And a further quote is, the kingdom of atheistic Freemasonry will be established by evolution and the development of man himself. The false scientific ideology of evolution is a deception set in the 33rd degree atheistic Freemasonic lodges. Freemasons openly admit that they will use the scientists and media, which are under their control, to present this deception as scientific fact, which even they find funny. And that is a quote from New Age magazine in March 1922. So, yeah, absolutely. They know that it's fake and they know, you know, that, that, that one way of controlling us is by presenting this fake, this false reality that we all buy into, unless people are like uh, you and I, James, and the, and the good listeners. Um you know, but most people buy into this stuff and they know this, uh, you know, it's just it's just a, a control mechanism. And basically what they're doing is that they're hiding God. They're hiding the creator. Yeah, uh, because, you know, it's dangerous for them. There, there, are, there are only a few thousand of them in total. There are eight billions of us. 
And, you know, the one way that, that they maintain control is by fear. And another way is by creating a false reality that we believe in so that it kind of deflects the, uh, the, the blame from them. That's, that's a poor choice of words, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. It, it deflects attention away from them. I think probably a better way of saying it. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's all nonsense. I, hold on, I'm just going to get rid of this bloody annoying dog that's, that wants to be fed, and I, I need to get it out of the room because <laughs> it's just bugging me. Hold on. All right, no worries. Yes, John, this makes sense to me in a way that it wouldn't Good. have done before I went down the rabbit hole and, and, and learned about yeah. things like the 33rd degree of, 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 of Freemasonry, yes. which is essentially part of a, a Luciferian project to... Mm. To, to effectively kill God, isn't it? it it's, yeah, it's... absolutely. That's what, that's what it's all about. Similarly with, um, uh, you know, the Big Bang Theory is another, is another false premise and and, um, and uh, Globe Earth, but we won't get into that, obviously. But yeah, the, those, all those, those are three elements of fake science that are, that are meant to actually fool us into submitting to their will, if you like. Yes, yes. And, and, and this has precedent in things like the Tower of, of, of Babel, which yes. essentially was... A, and also, it's, it's, it's something that C.S. Lewis writes about in, in his sort of sci-fi trilogy, particularly the last one, That Hideous Strength, which, right. which is essentially about the university of, of Luciferian types trying okay. to create... Well, tr trying to replace God by by giving man eternal life, you know, having a sort of brain on life support and 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 all yes. all these things, which which yeah. we, which we see again in the transhuman transhumanism movement. It's all part of the same thing, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, the transhumanism is one of my uh, big bugbears, if you like. I mean, that's that's going to be the subject of my next book, number nine. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's in the planning stages at the moment. But, yeah, transhumanism is their end goal. OK, they, that is their end game. If they achieve transhumanism, the, the human race is finished um, because they, they do have the power. The patent, there are patents out there which are fully searchable on the Internet. They've got the, they've got the, uh, the technology to control our bodies remotely. They've got the technology to control our minds remotely. It actually exists. This is, this is not me, you know, me, me being speculative or it's not up for debate. This technology absolutely definitely exists. And they have the ability to delete memories, to plant memories, to, to change what's in our brains or our minds, whichever way you want to define it. Um, so, yeah, transhumanism, if they ever achieve that goal, and which is the road that we're heading on, and this is partly what getting off the topic slightly but the, this is partly what covid was all about and the vaccinations if they ever achieve that goal then the human race as we know it is finished forever so yes. it's vitally important that you know you and i do our best to spread this message and wake people up to what is actually going on in the world james because you know the human race is in severe danger right now I'm, I'm totally with you, John. I'm totally, totally with you. Can I ask you, um, when you go around doing your talks, are they mainly yeah. kind of John Hamer fans or are they no. people who've never heard of you before and no. go? 
obviously some some of them are uh some of them are john hamer fans if you want to put it that way but no the vast majority of it i mean i'm, I'm not i'm not really that famous um you know, vast, vast majority of people at my talks have probably never heard me talk before. They might have heard my name. They might, they may, uh, you know, they may have uh, got one of my books or whatever. But the vast majority, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a stranger to them. So, uh, yeah, I think I find your down to earthness. It, it could be the Yorkshire accent and your, <laughs> and your, your homely uh, Jerry Adams style chunky knit, <laughs> chunky knit sweater. Yeah, it's and freezing in here. I'll tell you, I'm absolutely. I'm sorry. Are, are you are you up north? Are you are you in the wild north I'm, now? Yeah, I'm living in Scarborough actually. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be um, torturing you. You no, probably sorry. should be in a room, room with uh, with your Argo or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think it's really important that we have on our side people who can say this stuff without looking or sounding like complete bloody loons. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's another example I just did recently, Ed Dowd. Ed Dowd, who's an uh, ex-BlackRock ex fund manager, can, right. can talk about the, the, the COVID you know, mass murder operation pandemic in ways that make it, make, it, make it make perfect sense and make it not sound like a conspiracy theory. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's a few more like that Catherine austin fitz i think is has has this manner of somebody who's just she's sort of no nonsense um she she wouldn't be making this crazy stuff up um right but i think we should move on john okay. to a subject i know is of interest to both of us I, I, I for most of my life i have been a massive world war ii fan if that's the right word, I grew up. I grew up in the shadow of, of, of the Second World War, in as much as all my many of my teachers at my prep school had served in the war. You know, I remember my my art yeah. teacher, Mister Greaves, had been in the Long Range Desert Group, and then he'd gone into tanks, and his tank had brewed up in the Western Desert, and then he'd been in an Italian POW camp. And and in later years, I was lucky enough to to do a, a series of uh, of interviews with with veterans and some of them became my friends and I wrote books about it and I, and I felt me you know Dr Johnson said every man thinks meanly of himself for not having been a soldier or gone to sea and <laughs> nothing I've learned more recently has changed my opinion of these of these men uh, and and women actually the nurses I spoke to as well women who, who served in my my grandmother sorry my mother-in-law was at Bletchley I love all these people they're all decent people who did yeah. their did their bit and did their best. Agreed, absolutely. However, I I now look look at World War Two with 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 new eyes, realizing that the version of events that we've been sold is mm -hmm. not quite an accurate one, isn't it? And I know that you've done a lot a lot of research, for example, into Churchill. Who is yes. sold to us as? Uh, yeah, there's another thing we we're talking about. Uh, that example of something that we are, which is rammed down our throats. We are mm. taught as established fact that he is the greatest living Englishman. I think there was a competition, wasn't on the BBC, and you had Brunel, Brunel, yeah. Nelson. Church. I'm pretty sure Churchill won because he always he did. does. He did. Yeah, the He's greatest living Brit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but apparently. But you have some doubts about whether he really was such a jolly good egg. Well, I think some doubts is 
is probably the understatement of the century, James, to be honest. I mean, yeah, again, it's another one of my stand-up talks. I, I, I can, you know, I can speak long and hard about Churchill and, and how he's been totally misrepresented to us. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy was, he was a monster. He was a demon. I'm absolutely convinced he was a demon. Um, but of course, these are the kinds of people that are um, pushed and, and, you know, everything is inverted, isn't it? It's satanic inversion. Everything is inverted. You know, everything that is good is portrayed as bad and vice versa. And, you know, Churchill absolutely falls into that category without question. Now, he was, he was a many, many things with Churchill, none of it good. He was, um, he was a pervert. Um, you know, he was a, he was a paedophile. He was a pederast. He was a, he, he spent more money, for example, on women's underwear, which he, he wore himself than most working men, you know, earned in a week. Um, he, he was a murderer. He was a liar. He was a narcissist. And it's quite know, a long charge. Sheet. That, he's a really great guy, James. <laughs> so, so in, in essence, you're, 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 I mean, this, this, this is exactly what the Nazi propagandists were telling us, isn't it? The, the, the... Um, yeah, possibly. I, I'm not actually. Yeah, um, they said he was a gangster because because they the, they had photo. There, there was a there's a famous image of him holding a um, a, uh, a Tommy gun, wasn't there? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, well, so, so well, well, I mean, those are big claims. To, I mean, first of all, yeah. how do you? How, why is why hasn't this stuff got out? If it's true, uh, well, it's like anything else. I mean, it, you know, people say to me frequently, very, very frequently. Yes, John, if if all that was true, though, we'd know about it. It would have come out. Well, yeah. no, I'm sorry, it doesn't come out. The reason it doesn't come out because all this information goes against the the the, the, uh, the prevailing narrative it goes against the agenda that we all live within and you know people say well there'd be whistleblowers by the thousand if this was all true well there are whistleblowers there are hundreds and hundreds of whistleblowers the problem is with any whistleblowing of any kind is that they don't have a platform you know it's all very well saying you know that there would be all these people coming forward but where who are they going to tell and how? certainly not the mainstream media the mainstream media is just another adjunct of these evil people that are per excuse me perpetrating all this nonsense so you know it, it's all very well saying well it would have come out if if this was the truth well it does and this is how we know it's the truth but it only comes out in very small uh helpings uh, so there are certain people who I trust as whistleblowers, and one of them was a guy called Anthony Thomas Trevor Stokes, who was at XMI6, and he blew the whistle on a lot of stuff. Now, he was very, he, he lived to a very ripe old age. I think he only died in the very early uh, 2000s, and he was a contemporary of Churchill's. He lived through both world wars. And um, he was privy to a lot of the secret information, which only the Secret Services knew about. And he, uh, he put a lot of this out, not exactly into the uh, public domain as such, but for anyone who knows where to look, um, his information is freely available. It's not 
being distributed, um, you know, by the uh, by the bucket load, but it is out there, you know. And this well, is where, where do you find this stuff? Well, I found it on the internet. But the thing is about the internet is that over the last twenty years, obviously, you know, up until about say I can't give an exact date, but up until the early twenty first century. The internet was becoming a, a, a ubiquitous tool for finding out almost anything you want you needed to know, but now it's being heavily censored. It's being um, you know uh, search engines are being tuned to tune out of of uh, information that goes against the prevailing agenda. So it's much much more difficult now to find this information. This information I found many many years ago, but if you try and look for it now, it's not there anymore. You know, they don't allow it anymore. They soon cottoned on to the fact that, that, you know, oh, dear, the truth is getting out. So we've got to do something about it. So that's why you get all the censorship. This is why you're not allowed to hear anything of that goes against the agenda on YouTube or, or, or through Google or on Facebook or on Twitter. Anything that actually tells the truth about what's really going on quickly gets shut down. And this is the problem as researchers that we're facing now. You know, but we soldier on and, and um, you know, I've also got a lot of, um, I've got a, a, a huge collection of books, some of which are more than well over 100 years old. And, you know, in those books, you get a lot more truth than you do in books today. Uh, so quite a lot of the research that I've done is, is through those books. Um, do, you know, well, so, do, you, do you have to go and troll secondhand bookshops or what? How do you how do you find them? Well, I did, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, again, a long time ago. I've not, I've not done that for a while. I'm, I'm too busy writing and doing other stuff now. But when, when I first began my research, that's, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I've always been a, a book freak, anyway. I've always, I've always had a penchant for old books, and uh, yeah, I used to go around secondhand bookshops and dig into the, um, you know, the, the historical sections, and, and it's amazing what information you can, you can find out from there. And yeah, so it's, you know, quite a bit of my research is is, is through through things like that. So, uh, if, so if I if I were, were to well, obviously Google would be the wrong place to get wrong search engine to use. But if well, I were yeah. to look up Stokes now, I, I, yeah. has he been sort of uh, airbrushed from history? A lot of it has. Yeah, I mean, you might find some some bits of snippets that have escaped the um, the censor's red pencil, as it were. But but um, yeah, a lot of it has. But it, you know. Nevertheless, uh, I've saved so, a lot of it, so shall we say. So, so tell me, so, go on, cut to the chase. Give me some of the juicy stuff that you've, you've learned right. from Stokes. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. Um, he was, he was in his younger days, he was as a politician, uh, you know, an upcoming politician. He was blackmailed over his, shall we say, proclivities for young boys. Um, you know, he had a, an affair with his male secretary. He, he used to be a frequent visitor, even during the war flying across uh, uh, the European theatre of war to the teenage homosexual brothels in Morocco, you know, and he spent, as I say, spent more on women's underwear per week than most working men earned. And, you know... But you've got, was... to, you've got to, John, you've got to admire. Um, I mean, he, he risked his life for his, for his, his bum activity. I mean, <laughs> he was dedicated <laughs> well, to, to fly through yeah, the war zone. Okay, well, we'll give the guy some credit then, yeah. It was, um, yeah... And uh, it was very brave. Yeah, it was a brave man. But it's, it's, yeah, that, that, that would have been surely quite a hard thing to cover up. Because if you think about the security risks, okay, we're, we're flying 
the, the prime minister, one of the three most important leaders of the, of, of the Western, of, of, of the Allies. Yeah. And I mean, think about being in charge of security for that operation. We've got to get him from, from London, from, from Whitehall, Westminster, to a gay brothel in, in where? Morocco. 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 Um, I mean, you need fighter escorts. You did, well, I don't know. I wonder how they did it. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um, and, but, and this was quite a regular activity, was it? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was. Um, it was something he did fairly frequently. Um, I have absolutely no idea of the security arrangements in place for it, but um, yeah, um, you know, like I say, Stokes is a very credible source. You know, uh, it's not not just me saying that. You know, lots of other researchers, people in my position, people who you know have done far more. Uh, so sterling work than I. But I, I was going to say this. This made him eminently blackmailable. But it sounds like he. You, you, you said he was being blackmailed. What? What, were was, they, being what black, were they? He was being blackmailed about all sorts of things, and and of course he was responsible for um, the um, stepping up of World War Two because um, at the begin when World War Two broke out in September nineteen thirty nine. Um, there was a period from then until May 1940 called the Phony War, which I guess most people have heard of, where nothing was really happening. There, there was no fighting going on. There was just sabre rattling. Okay, so for the first eight, nine months of the war, there was, you know, it, it was all quite on the Western Front, to use the phrase. And uh, as soon as they decided that, um, that the powers that be, you know, the, the real the puppet masters decided that the Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain wasn't actually um, very keen on, uh, shall we say, uh, promoting the war in terms of, you know, making, uh, you know, over moves towards the enemy. Then he was ousted. You know, he was ousted on some flimsy um, excuse and Churchill became Prime Minister on, I think it was, I could be shot down on this, but I think it was the 1st of May, 1940. And on the 2nd of May, 1940, um, you know, the war was stepped up and the, the, the British Expeditionary Force landed in France. And at that point in time, you know, this, this was as soon as Churchill came to power. Churchill was being, um, was being uh, pushed forward, promulgated by... Um, a Zionist element within the uh, within the British establishment. He was being paid something like two hundred thousand pounds a year by them to 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 push the war. This is why he ignored all Hitler's overtures for peace. You know, most people think that you know because of what we're told by the mainstream that Hitler was the aggressor. Hitler was the villain. Well, I'm not saying he was an angel. Don't get me wrong. But he certainly didn't want war with Britain. There's absolutely no question about that. You know, you know, even even some mainstream historians admit that he was he was making overtures to Churchill throughout the whole of that phony war period, saying, "Look, we don't need to fight this war. You know, we are natural allies. Britain and Germany are natural allies." But Churchill was ignoring that, and the reason why he was well, he wasn't in power at that point in time, but the powers that be were ignoring it because. Um, it was it was not part of the agenda. The agenda was to to promote World War Two heavily. Lots and lots of reasons for that. You know, you, you, it was a satanic 
ritual for a start, which sounds crazy. I know. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one, John. It was it yeah. was a, it was a massive blood sacrifice, like like the first absolutely, world war. Absolutely, absolutely, and and of course, it, you know. Uh, the Balfour Declaration in 1917 promised uh, Palestine as a homeland for the Jews. So it was partly fought for that as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of getting off the subject here a little bit. But, um, yeah, as well, soon as subject. Churchill came to, came to power, the war began in earnest. The BEF went into France. Hitler retaliated. He started the Blitzkrieg. He drove his forces through Holland and Belgium. We were told that he was conquering Holland and Belgium, which was absolute nonsense. All he was doing was taking the shortest route to cut off the BEF before they could advance on him. And of course, you know, the the story then, we know the rest of the story, within days, weeks, he surrounded them at Dunkirk and the massive evacuation took place. But what mainstream history doesn't tell us is that Dunkirk, Hitler, allowed the British forces, he allowed 330,000 British troops to escape from Dunkirk because at that point in time he was still hopeful of avoiding all-out war and he thought he could curry, curry favour with, with Churchill and the British establishment by allowing the troops to, to go back home. Obviously yes. a lot of them were killed uh, in the process and you know, I'm not saying that, that they, were, they just stood back and let it happen but Hitler had, had the wherewithal at that point in time to destroy every single or capture every single British soldier on the beaches at Dunkirk. There's no doubt about that. And there is no way, if Hitler hadn't allowed it to happen, that the flotilla of small boats that that, um, that, that facilitated the Dunkirk evacuation, you know, if he would not wanted that to happen, then it wouldn't have happened. It would have destroyed them all. But, it, but it, he did allow it to happen purely and simply on the basis that he still did not want war. But the, we're getting off the Churchill point here. I do, I do appreciate that. But the point is that Churchill was a warmonger. He was paid £200,000 a year by the Zionists to promulgate that war against Germany. So, yeah, the, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, I could this, is, this is, This is... I mean, it's, it's quite shocking for those of us who... I suppose it's shocking for everybody because I went to one of those old-fashioned English prep schools, which I used to call Colditz, um, not mm. very affectionately, because it was... <laughs> yes. And, 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 and on, on Saturday evenings, um, we used to get out all the gym mats that were, which were made of yeah. these scratchy, furry stuff that didn't really yeah. cushion your fall. Uh, and you had to wear shorts, so you got horrible, chapped, scratched legs. Yeah. And you yeah. sat on these mats, and they'd wheel out the school projector, and they'd show these films... Um, encouraging you in, in a particular understanding of the Second World War, which was reinforced by yes. history lessons I mean, and, and, and stuff. And I remember one of the films we saw was Dunkirk, which I, the, the original Dunkirk movie was so much better than the, 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 the rather flashy one done by Christopher Nolan. Um, and it had a wonderful um, uh, theme tune, I think, by, by Walton. And, 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 it, and it was great. And it stirred up this... this yeah, I saw this, it, yeah. This feeling that, that that Britain was standing alone and this flotilla of mm-hmm. boats, you know, manned by old gents, some of whom yeah. never came back, and and yes, yes. But but you're right that 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 this is one of the things that historians have never satisfactorily answered. Why did Hitler stop? Why didn't he just send in his Stukas and just just yeah. hammer us 
to yeah. oblivion while while trapped on on the beaches. The the most fanciful explanation I've I've come I've heard is the one about how Hitler's Hitler's uh, tank commanders were all amped up on speed on methamphetamine, and and that methamphetamine could only carry you. For so many days before you kind of burn out and, and that therefore they'd all achieve mm. burnout by the time they reached the <laughs> anyway yeah your, yeah. your theory you, you, that does at least sound more yeah the, the, there's so much demonization of germany and it, and it and it goes to an absolutely ridiculous extent again i'm not i'm not saying they were angels by any means but they were certainly no worse than we were you know we, you know I, I use the term we loosely it was nothing to do with me you know, um, but I'm, I'm speaking generically, you know, about the country that I actually happen to have been born in when I when I use the term we, um, you know, the Allies committed just as many atrocities as the Germans did. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And in, and, and probably actually more um, when you take into account uh, things like uh, the, the fire bombings of Hamburg, especially Dresden, half a million people dead. Um, you know, and yes. something something called the uh, the Rhine Meadows Killing Fields, which I'm not sure whether you're aware of, James. No, not at all. What's that? Tell me. Right. Well, after the war, uh, the Allies, uh, particularly the Americans, but the British and French were involved as well, rounded up every German civilian and soldier they could find. Um, uh, Eisenhower, who was supreme commander of course of the allied forces he actually uh pulled a flanker and re uh re labeled if you like uh prisoners of war disarmed enemy combatants to get around the geneva convention and he stuck all these people who were around two million i think it was about two million he put them in these camps and i lose the word use the word very loosely uh which were all next to the Rhine Meadows. Okay, they're next to the River Rhine. They were called the Rhine Meadows camps. And this is this is Googleable. And I probably don't use that particular search engine, but it, it's definitely searchable on the internet. And it, it is a fact. It's not it's not something that somebody's made up. This they put them in these camps, which consisted of uh, barbed wire enclosures, huge, huge acres and acres of barbed wire enclosures. 1945, when the war ended, was the coldest spring in the 20th century. Okay, they were in these camps in the mud. There was no shelter, no food, no latrines, and they were just left there to die. And almost two million of them died. Okay, now we, we never hear that in mainstream history, but it is a fact, and it's easily, easily provable. So, you know, the, the things were going on there like, if any uh, sympathetic soldier, who, who, you know, one of the guards tried to feed them, they were shot. Okay, they're, so they were shot for disobeying orders, and that happened on more than one occasions. On one one occasion, uh, there was an instance where there was a, an American officer stood on a hill overlooking one of the um, the barbed wire enclosures, and he was firing a machine gun randomly into them for target practice. He said. Uh, you know, this this kind of thing was relatively common, I would say. So, yeah, you know, we, 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 all, we all hear about the German, so-called German atrocities and, you know, the, the, the biggest atrocity of all, whose name cannot be mentioned without fear of censure. Um, you know, but it involves six million uh, 
men with small hats. And, um, you know, but we never hear about the Allied uh, uh, atrocities, which were absolutely legion. You know, they were... Uh, I, say, I, I, I do find that very upsetting. Two, two million is a lot of a lot of people to just, like... Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, Churchill okay. himself actually expressed that he believed that every single German citizen, soldier and civilian should be wiped from the face of the earth. That was his, that was his did, goal. Did he express that? Yes. There's on the record, obviously. I don't know about on the record, but I mean, I've seen, I, I've seen quotes. I mean, I can't. Obviously, I can't verify them absolutely, but I've no reason to disbelieve it because, you know, it, it, it fits in with a lot of other stuff that he said about, about Germans. You know, he, he, he had this pathological hatred of Germans, which I suspect was, was uh, engendered by the thought of his £200,000 a year, which in those days was a, a heck of a lot of money. Well, it's a heck of a lot of money these days, but in those days, it was, uh, you know, it was a king's ransom, wasn't it? Am I right in thinking, um, uh, with reference to, to Darwin and others, it, it, Churchill too was a 33rd degree Freemason? Yes. He was also a Druid. And now, um, he was a member of the Royal Ancient Order of Druids, and as was the, our late beloved Majesty. Um, I'm not sure what the Druids actually do or what that's all about, but again, it's just another secret society among many, isn't it? Um, I don't think they're particularly influential in the same way that Freemasonry is, but um, but they're not Christians. This... Sorry, they're not. They're not, they're not Christians. No, no they're not God fearing. No. I mean, to to be a thirty third degree, you know, never mind the kind of the, the sort of first and second degrees, which is just kind of like Rotary Club, aren't they? They're just sort of people. Yeah, exactly. Slapping exactly. Each they're, just, and... uh, they're just they just believe that it's kind of a charitable organisation. Yeah. But yeah. the 33rd level is, is, is where the nature of the project, the true nature of the project has been revealed to you. Yeah. And you know that it's, you're serving Lucifer. So it would make sense. It yes. would, would support your theory that, that he was demonic. Yes. Um, have you got any other uh, evidence of... Uh, okay, so, you, so we've got the, the ladies' underwear, the, mm. the rent boys in, in Morocco. <laughs> what, yeah. Anything else? He's also responsible for three murders. We know this. Um, uh, I'll come on to that in a minute, but I'll also tell you about the Lusitania as well. Um, for those who are not aware, the Lusitania was a ship that was sunk by a German U-boat in, uh, I think it was 1916, off the top of my head. And it was the Lusitania sinking that actually brought the Americans into the war. Yes. Uh, ultimately. Um, uh, because what happened was Churchill was desperate to get the Americans into the war because Britain was losing the war in 1915, 1916. In fact, some historians actually say that the Germans had actually won it up until the point where the Zionists approached the British government and said, look, you know, don't surrender just yet. Bring the Americans in and we can still win this war. Okay. And um, so they hatched this plot whereby the Lusitania would be filled full of arms, which we know it was because, um, you know, divers have investigated the wreck and found a massive cache of arms in there, um, 
which was illegal to do, of course, because America was a neutral nation. And they were also uh, going to, um, you know, obviously destroy a load of passengers deliberately because, you know, that way they would engender public sympathy and the Americans would then have the mandate to join the war. And this is exactly what happened. The Lusitania sailed as it got just off the south coast of Ireland. Um, it was attacked by a German U-boat because the destroyer escort had been removed. Right? And the destroyer escort was told to abandon the Lusitania. And then within hours, it had been sunk by a German U-boat, which regarded it as a as a legitimate target because they knew that it was carrying arms. Now, there was a, a famous advert that appeared in one American newspaper, and it was the Des Moines Register, but it was actually scheduled to appear in dozens and dozens of American newspapers all up the eastern seaboard, and it was placed by the Imperial German Embassy. Now, this uh, this advert was meant to deter passengers from going on the Lusitania because the Germans knew what the plan was and they knew that they were going to sink the Lusitania. Now this notice, I've actually got a copy of it in front of me, so it's absolutely genuine, and it said, notice, travellers intending to embark on the Atlantic voyage are reminded that a state of war exists between Germany and her allies and Great Britain and her allies that the zone of war includes the waters adjacent to the British Isles, that in accordance with formal notice given by the Imperial German government, vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or of any of our allies are liable to destruction in those waters, and that travellers sailing in the war zone on ships of Great Britain on uh, her office do so at their own risk the Imperial German Embassy in New York City. Now, those, uh, those notices were removed from every single newspaper. They were not allowed to be posted, uh, except for the Des Moines Register, and somehow nobody knows how, but that actually got through and it was published uh, unintentionally. But it did actually appear in the Des Moines Register on the 22nd of April, 1915. And I've actually got a photostat of the actual notice itself sat in front of me now. So we know that that happened. So basically what was happening was that the Germans were trying to be honourable. They were trying to let people know that, you know, don't be fooled by this. If you go on these ships, any of them, not just the Lusitania, then, you know, your, your lives are in danger because we are at war with Great Britain. So it was a it was a setup and it was and it was done but chiefly by Churchill, but obviously in collaboration with the American government of the time. Because the American government at the time, uh, Woodrow Wilson, he was, he was pro-war. He was, he was trying to persuade Congress to sanction the idea of going to war. But the whole of the American nation was against war. They, they pursued the, what was called this isolationist policy. Isolationist meaning that they didn't want anything to do with what was going on in the rest of the world. But of course, that isolationist word came to be a dirty word in the end because, you know, it, it kind of be became. Well, it was associated. probably manufactured that way. I yeah, mean, of course, it, it became associated with cowardice and and all the rest of it. 
yeah. which is what the way these people work, isn't it? So, yeah, um, so there was that. There was the Lusitania incident. So Churchill was directly responsible for the deaths of 1,200 people there. Um, and as I say, the murders, he, he actually murdered his own mother. Or not personally. I mean, he never did it actually personally himself, but he ordered the, the murder of his mother. Why would he do that? Well, Jenny Jerome, his mother, was an American socialite. She'd, uh, she'd be, shall we say, very uh, free with her favours ever since Churchill's father had died, kind of 20 years earlier, allegedly of syphilis, but who knows. And um, he, she was a huge embarrassment to him. And then two more things happened that actually tipped him over the edge. The first one was that he discovered that... Um, she had been, she had lied about his his father's will, in which a provision had been made for him and his his um, his half brother, uh, Jack, to receive fifty thousand pounds a year from his father's estate, which again was an awful lot of money, you know, hundred plus years ago, um, and that he, he missed out on twenty years of that, so he missed out on you know. A million pounds, in effect. You so would be quite pissed off, though, if you discovered yeah, that, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. But, you know, it's questionable whether you might murder someone over it, but I suppose mm. it's quite possible. It certainly was possible in his case. So there was that. And then he also found out, and I think this was the, 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 real, the, the real biggie, this was the one that really tipped him over the edge. He found out that it had been conceived before wedlock. It wasn't born out of wedlock, but it was conceived before wedlock. And this was an enormous stigma in those days especially for someone in such a you know a prominent position such a public office um he was he was not a popular man wasn't churchill and he 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 resented that yeah uh, i don't know if you know but his nickname in the house of commons was the shit house because of his initials oh oh w wc WC. oh i see yes 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 so, you know, it was kind of a double meaning, double entendre. You know, he was right. a shit house, but, uh, you know. Um, so, yeah, he he, uh, he found out that he was he was conceived out of wedlock. Uh, he got a lot of bad press over that. He got a, you know, huge stigma. And he arranged for someone by the name of, um, oh, my gosh, my brain. Um, the, who was the famous pathologist of the day at that time? Uh, he was he he was uh, involved with the Crippin murders and quite a lot of others. Um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. I'm sorry, but yeah, he was he was big pals with him, and this guy basically arranged for her to be bumped off. Because what happened was Jenny actually fell down some stairs, broke a leg, and they saw it as an opportunity to to do away with her. She wasn't that old, and. Um, they uh, they allowed her to catch gangrene, and uh, she died of gangrene. But how? I mean, how would you know this? I mean, again, this is well from me. How, how do I know it? Or yeah, how yeah. does one know it? How does one know uh, it? Yeah, because of again, this is this is all from uh, Stokes, uh, T. Stokes. But how would he know? I mean, he... because he was he was part of MI6. They knew everything that was going on. Believe me, and they still do. You know, these these people are in the know about almost everything. Um, MI6, MI5, 
same thing. The, yeah, he had access to all the records. Um, Churchill also murdered uh, the, the head of uh, MI5, who was a guy called Sir George Smith Cumming, who had tried to blackmail Churchill over uh, the death of his mother. Right. Yeah, so he had him bumped off as well. How? He, he was bumped off by... He, he actually had the temerity, uh, Smith Cumming, to ask to borrow money from Churchill. And Churchill was incensed by this. So he, uh, um, he actually arranged for a guy to go and visit him, ostensibly to take him the money that he, he, he wanted to borrow. And the guy allegedly, and again, I have no proof of this, but this is, this is what T. Stokes said happened. This guy actually gave this guy a lethal injection when he, when he answered the door, um, stabbed something in him that was poisonous, and he died almost instantly. Okay, so that was that. And he also murdered T. E. Lawrence as well, better known to most as Lawrence of Arabia. Now, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, the Lawrence of Arabia situation was that he also privy to what, you know, a lot of Churchill's shenanigans. And he wrote a book, famous book called The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, as a lot of people know. Now, that wasn't published until after he died. And the reason it wasn't published after, until after he died was because um, before he got a chance to publish it, Churchill had him done away with. Most people know that he, he actually died in a motorcycle accident. Mm. Well, it wasn't much of an accident, really. It was actually, again, I cover all this in in my books. You know, I, I cover this specifically in um, uh, in uh, Behind the Curtain, uh, which is a, a huge two-volume expose of everything that we've just been talking about today, James. And, um, yeah, so, again, I don't want to go into too much detail because it, it just drones on and on. But, um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite interesting. It, yeah, it is interesting. It, it was. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't an accident. You know, the, the, there are so many witnesses, and again, so many people died around that time that were privy to the information. You know, the usual old mo. Um, you know, a guy who was supposed to give evidence at the inquest, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, suddenly turned up dead. All that kind of things. Um, the, the 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 motorcycles that uh, Lawrence was absolutely besotted with were called Bruff Superior, and they were made, as you'd imagine, by a, a guy called uh, Bruff, and he gave evidence as well that contradicted the official story, and he was told in no uncertain terms that he was not allowed to uh, attend the inquest on, on pain of death, and his wife said afterwards she actually believed that he was murdered anyway because of the knowledge that he had. Um, really? Yeah, he had. Uh, he, he was friends with Bruff because he had eight of his uh, really. Uh, they were superb machines, you know. That, at that, the technology within those machines at that time in the nineteen thirties was way ahead of any other motorcycle. And um, he and uh, he and Lawrence Bruff and Lawrence were big mates. And um, yeah, again, all the details of that are in my book. So, just briefly, the, the, the official version was what he had a the motorbike just veered off the road and he died, or yeah, the, the official version was that the, the, it was it was speeding down a country lane in in Wiltshire, I think, where it was that he lived, and um, uh, two young boys on a, on a, on bicycles they kind of swerved across the road. He swerved to avoid them. 
and he hit and he went into the side into the hedge at the side and and died of his injuries later but even his death was very suspicious because you know he went to hospital he was in hospital he seemed to be recovering then all of a sudden they brought in a brain specialist from uh, from london and the next day he was pronounced dead do you know so what again yeah. just briefly Sorry. this is reminding me of, a, of, of I, I remember you once talking about what it is that got you into all this alternative history what it, what oh, it yes. was the first you just just tell us that story briefly because i think it, i think it does tie okay. in all right yeah um yeah well the, the thing that kind of brought me into the world of uh, truth seeking james was um the, the incident should i say was the death of princess diana because uh, my wife and i we had two two friends who actually were in paris that weekend and they'd done, you know, they'd been out to a show and what have you. They'd gone to the theatre and uh, um, out for a meal, whatever. Gone back to the hotel room that night, switched on the TV, as you do. And the first image they saw on the TV news was Princess Diana walking into an ambulance. And they thought, oh, dear. Oh, poor Diana. She's had a, a terrible accident. Oh, but she looks OK. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. And uh, she saw them, you know, she saw them walking her into the ambulance. And then when they woke up in the morning... <clears throat> switched on the morning news again, Diana was dead. So they came back and they told us, I said, oh, and I kind of thought, no, surely not. You know, this was my first, I mean, we're only going back 25 years, but this is my first real kind of shock to the system, if you like, that things are, are maybe not as we, as, we, as we believe they are. So it was that that kind of kicked off me. Anyway, not that I'm making any comparison, um, John. I'm just so let's get back to... <laughs> but the, T. Lawrence, I tell you what, I love mm. Lawrence of Arabia. And I've always found that that, yeah. that opening scene where, where it, yeah. in the set in the present where, where, he, where he dies, bizarre. Right. You know, you've got yeah. him accelerating down this open road Yes. And, it, and it's never been satisfyingly explained. And, and, and yeah. you're, at least you're now... So, so he, you're suggesting he had the dirt on... on what, what did he know? Do you right. Know? Right. Well, because he was, he, was, he was good pals with Churchill, um, well, he, he was privy to all this information that I've just been telling you. And he actually wrote a chapter about Churchill in The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. And this is what I was kind of um, going to say, but got sidetracked. Um about the, the book, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. He didn't have time to publish it. And unfortunately, he died before he could do that. And then the book was published without that, that, um, that incriminating to Churchill chapter. And again, this is Stokes that said that he believes that somewhere in the MI6 or MI5 archives, that chapter from The Seven Pill Pillars of Wisdom is still in existence. How come Stokes lived to a ripe old age? You'd have thought with all this knowledge, you'd have been... Yeah, it's, a good, it's a good question. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he lived in, incognito somewhere. I'm not sure. Or um, maybe he just had a sort of, um, what are they called? Dead man's, dead man's keys, where, where mm. if he was died an untimely death, all this stuff would come out and... I don't maybe. Know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, can't, I can't answer your question definitively, James, but yeah. So... So, you, so, so far we've got um, Churchill, uh, according to your version, which I'm not disputing, I, mean, I, I don't know, um, he bumped off his mother, yes. he bumped off the head of MI5. Yes, Sir George Smith was, coming, yeah. It was C, wasn't he, or M, or he was, the, he was, he had an initial. 
Um, and yeah, it was excellent, wasn't it? Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. Did, did did he did he go on sort of boy expeditions? Do you think with T. Lawrence? He might have done. It's very possible. Although to be fair, T. Lawrence, when he was captured by the um, by the Turks in uh, in World War One. He he um, he had his genitals mutilated as part of the torture, so he wasn't actually capable of sex. Oh, I didn't know. You see, I didn't know that. I knew something bad had happened. I didn't know what what was mm. done to him. Was he he was? Had yeah, he was chopped off. Yeah, well, I don't know about chopped off, but it was certainly mutilated. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Oh, ouch! Poor, poor, poor Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, it makes okay. your eyes water for thinking about it, doesn't it? That, well, it does. It's, it's 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 more damaging than putting your handle over a your, your hand over a, a candle flame and not minding that it hurts. I mean, <laughs> this that really would have hurt. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he had that. So you know, it's questionable whether he actually um, did the. Um, did the stuff that you just mentioned <laughs> did he uh, is that it did he bump anyone else off um well it, the chances are that he did um because there's a famous quote from uh, general de gaulle uh, uh during world war Two, and he was asked by a journalist who said uh because he, he got this uh, aversion to flying de gaulle and the journalist asked him why that was and he said simply because People who detest Churchill tend to have accidents. Ah, oh. now so I suspect that you know. That Len Miller. The iceberg. I'm trying to think of famous people who died in plane crashes. It was Glenn Miller. Yeah, I don't. I don't know whether there's a connection. Maybe he didn't there. like in the mood. Maybe he wasn't in the mood. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um. Yeah. Well, this is extraordinary. And you remind me of a very famous um, thing that Churchill said. He said, history will be kind to me, yes. but I mean to write it myself. Yeah, I know this because I mean to write it myself. Yes, he did. So he, he he knew whereof he spoke there. Now, yes. um, I've got to ask you, you uh, before, before this period, Kitchener. Mm. Oh, Kitchener, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell me about Kitchener. Yeah, Kitchener. Well, they, they hated each other. They were they were both as bad as each other. They were both pederasts. They were both, um, uh, you know, into young boys. Um, but they um, all were, weren't they? I mean, Mountbatten. There were all yeah, these they names, all are, like yeah, rum sodomy in the lash. That's right. Yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah. The, um, Churchill hated him most of all, though, because of his popularity. Um, during World War One, Kitchener was the guy, for those who are not aware, who, who was on that famous World War One poster where he's, he's pointing his finger and says, your country needs you. Yeah. Um, and he was massively, massively popular. The, 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 the general populace loved him. They weren't keen on Churchill. Churchill was jealous. Um, I mean, there must have been all sorts of the kinds of stuff going on in the background as well um but yeah churchill wanted rid of him so um he he arranged for him to be murdered on hms hampshire which was a ship that that actually allegedly struck a mine in the north sea and and sank with uh, everyone on board apart from seven or eight survivors who managed to scramble ashore in norfolk somewhere but who were immediately shot by uh, the local residents because they thought it was a German invasion. How plausible is that? Well, how, that's anyway. extraordinary. I yeah. mean, 
they must have it must have been fairly thorough to mop up like that. Yeah. How would yeah. they know I mean, that? I don't know. I honestly the divers were coming ashore. Anyway, sorry, carry on. So, yeah. so yeah. I'm... So, so um, uh, uh, again, T. Stokes was was kind of uh, n- he knew the people involved in this, so he knows it was true. Um, two of his colleagues were sent aboard HMS Hampshire. They boarded, and they knocked on Kitchener's cabin door, and said, and handed him a pistol, and said, um, "Go back inside your cabin, use this, or we will come in and use it for you." And then 30 seconds later, they heard a shot and uh, opened the door, and there was Kitchener lying in a pool of blood. So that mission accomplished. They left the ship, and then shortly afterwards. HMS Hampshire allegedly hit a mine and sank. But whether that is true or not, your guess is as good as mine. About the mine, uh, I mean. Okay. Um, that is extraordinary because because it was it was very famous incident for obvious reasons. Yes. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the Hampshire's sitting at, yeah. uh, hitting hitting a, a mine. Um, exactly. So what but I mean well, I was going to say you have to be a psychopath to, to do this sort of thing. I mean, the guy, he was Kitchener of Khartoum. He relieved Khartoum after uh, on the, the punishment expedition, isn't he, to, after Gordon yes. was, was murdered by the, the Mahdi's people. Yes, uh, yes. So he was a national hero. He was associated with that poster and stuff. Yes. He must have really pissed Churchill off to... This is, this is when Churchill was first Lord of the Admiralty, is that right? Absolutely, yeah, it was. Yeah. And, uh, okay. yeah. I mean, yeah, as well as, you know, I mean, he was responsible for the deaths of thousands of soldiers through his incompetence as well, specifically the Dardanelles, Gallipoli. Um, That was an absolute disaster, that campaign. And, and, you know, what we said right at the very beginning about World War II being a blood sacrifice, I'm absolutely positive that Gallipoli was also a blood sacrifice. I mean, the, the decisions that were made there were just too ridiculous for words, you know, too ridiculous for any person who even claims partial competence to have made i mean there was, was just madness sending those poor kids into that it was just a it was just a killing field basically can we just briefly because I'm, I'm very struck by the kitchener story if you'd mm. been in, in in kitchener's position mm. wouldn't you have gone sat there with your in fact what i might have done is is i would have shot in the ceiling just to, to make them think i i was dead yeah, when they came and shot them both. Yes, <laughs> but I don't know how many bullets there were in the chamber. Maybe there were only one, in which case that would... Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, you know, the yeah, I mean, even if he'd done that, I mean, he, he still wouldn't have survived, would it? Because they'd have got him another way, so maybe... No, but, just... but 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 I don't mean... Yeah, obviously he was he was, he was was a goner, but at least you would taken a few of the bastards with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I would, that's what I would have done, yes, if, I, if I'd had the... Um the forethought to do it yeah without a doubt but I, I suppose when you're confronted with that particular situation you know uh, who knows how your mind works i um, fortunately so, i never have been so I don't, I don't know i mean obviously i was aware of flaws in his record as it as it, as it were so i knew yeah. about i'd read i mean i've 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 read biographies of churchill which 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 now i think may maybe hagiographies because they were just promoting the myth yes um, but even even reading some of those, he comes across as a bit of a bumptious tosser, a bumptious oh, yeah, entitled. Yeah. I mean, he, was a, he was an alcoholic. He was he was uh, he took drugs, you know, as well, and um, you know, opium. What um, did um, Clemmy think of all this? Was it? I don't know. 
I don't know that that's not something that I've even looked into at all, James. But uh, um, yeah. so, so what, what kind of reaction do you get when you go to the village hall and tell people this <laughs> stuff? Yeah, I tend not to talk in village halls, <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I know what you're saying. Yeah, most people, most people believe it. You know, most people, you know, find it plausible. I think is the, is the word. Um, it's a little bit different, kind of chatting to you about it to to actually standing up and doing a a presentation where I've got all my facts and figures laid out in front of me. You know, it's kind of a bit disjointed what we've done in a sense. I mean, that's not to disparage it, but. You know, I in my in my PowerPoint presentation, I've got the full, you know, the full uh, dirt, if you like, all in uh, all in chronological sequence. So yeah, but, but it, you know, get... it goes it goes down well. You know, most people, I mean, most people in our kind of sphere absolutely detest the guy anyway to start with. So uh, you know, it doesn't take that much to um, kind of <laughs> reinforce that that position really. Oh, but the, but but I, I thought you said the people the people that come to see you aren't necessarily in our us. They're not all oh, down the yes. rabbit hole. Yeah, no, no, no. Now what I said was, or what I meant to say, and if I was misunderstood, I apologise. Um, was that they're not necessarily John Hamer fans, but they they tend to be truth seekers. Okay. Oh, I see. Obviously, right. obviously, they bring people along who maybe are on the fringes or or you know or have got doubts. Mm. Um, or perhaps it's all totally new to them, but yeah, um, the majority of people I speak to are already truth seekers. You know, it's just have you, kind of. Have you have you ever met David Irving? I've never met him. No, no. I mean, presumably, I I've, I haven't. I've all I've read is 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 a, is his introductory essays, uh, one of his books. Mm. Um, yeah, but Very he's done a book. Hasn't he done a biography of Churchill? Uh, I'm not sure. I know. I know he's done. A, uh, oh yes, he has. Isn't it called Churchill's War? Oh yeah, it, yeah, it, was, it wasn't so much a biography. I think it was just more about the way um, you know uh, Churchill's actions, you know, regarding the war. Because he did one, he did a complimentary one called Hitler's War as well, didn't he? And that's very oh. interesting. I've, got, I, I've but, read that one, and I've got a lot of information from that. But there must, there must be, there must be um, other historians who've who, who've corroborated what you've been saying. Oh yeah, there are. I mean, the the, the other one, uh, the American one, the American one called uh, uh, I've forgotten his name now, Anthony Sutton. Oh, Anthony dead. Sutton. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's he's a great. He was a fantastic historian. Yeah, he's done a lot of fantastic work. And uh, you know, but he's, he's more he's about the sort of the economic aspect. I mean, he doesn't. Surely, he doesn't doesn't mention Kitchener and. Um, no, 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 none of that stuff. No, no, absolutely, you're right. It is. It's. Um, I mean, that's yeah. just gold. Uh, it's just yeah. like extraordinary. Yeah. Do you do you, do you get accused of being of being pro Hitler? By... Oh, absolutely! I get accused of being a Nazi. Um, because of my you beliefs, like because I don't follow the, uh, I don't toe the party line with regard to what happened. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, I get, yeah, I get, get accused of all sorts of things, James. <laughs> thing yeah, is, you know. thing is, um, I used to wonder. I used to wonder this a lot. Uh, it was one of my first, you know, like inklings. Of, my my first glimmers of doubt, which before when I was still believing in the in the paradigm. Yeah. Was I used to wonder why it was that you had to be vetted before you went into the National Archives. You know, I was thinking, what possible reason for that? This is this is our our, our archives. Yeah. Why wouldn't? Yeah. 
doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it doesn't make Unless sense. Unless there is a nefarious reason for it. Like the 50-year rule and the 100-year rule. And, 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 exactly. and the, again, like what possibly could be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is that those per the people who are the guilty parties won't be around any longer. <laughs> yes, but, I, but, but, but I mean, sometimes even, even you know, like, well, I, I, after 100 years, they definitely, nobody would be alive. But, but no. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's been really interesting. Um, John, where can people um, find your your stuff? Okay. Right. Well, um, my website is falsificationofhistory.co.uk. Um, there are lots of articles on there. It's not been updated for quite a while, but there are hundreds of articles on there that I've written over the years and decades. Um including the stuff about Churchill, but it, obviously not as much detail as, as we've gone into uh, today, James. Uh, so that's my website. I have a, um, uh, a BitChute channel, which again has not been updated for a few weeks, but nevertheless, there are plenty of good, uh, good bits of info on there from my work. And that is called John Hamer Official, three separate words. Um, Obviously, I'm an author. I've got a, a, an Amazon author page where all my books are. So if anyone goes to Amazon and keys in uh, my name, John Hamer, you will find my books. Bearing in mind that there are also two other authors by the, exactly the same name. Uh, and one's even got exactly the same middle name as me, which is absolutely bizarre. But, but you know, they're, they're not truthers. I mean, they just write about all kinds of other stuff. I can't remember what the word it is that they write about. So yeah, you'll boring see my stuff. books there. Sorry, boring stuff. <laughs> yeah, boring stuff. Yeah, not not like I write about. Yeah. Um, uh, but if anyone wants to buy books directly from me, who don't, I come across a lot of people who who don't use Amazon on principle. If anyone wants to buy books from me directly, then by all means, go on Amazon. Look what books you're interested in, and drop me an email at jch. 120752 at gmail.com and I will gladly send you a signed copy for Brilliant. exactly the same price. Um, John, it's been great talking to you. Um, just a, uh, thank you for my dear viewers and listeners. Um, I really appreciate your support on Patreon, Substack, Subscribestar and, and Locals and you can also buy me a coffee. I'm delivering this very quickly so I'm dying for a piss because I've had two cups of tea uh, during the course of this <laughs> podcast and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> Thanks, John. It's been great. You're very welcome, James. Really good. Hopefully I'm, we I'm can do now. it again sometime. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Let's do that. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.